infighting, insurgent outsiders, and an establishment under fire. Drama, intrigue, and high stakes. It can only be the local elections. This is the Manchester Weekly from the Mill. Hello there, welcome to this week's episode of the Manchester Weekly from the Mill with me, Daryl Morris, and the editor, Yoshi Herman. Hello, Yoshi. Hey, how's it going? Yeah, very well, thank you. Um, And we are joined this week by a friend of the Mill, uh, a special guest on this week's podcast, Michael Taylor, uh, who is the editor of The Business Desk in the Northwest. He's also the co-host of the Northern Spin podcast, technically a rival podcast, uh, but also a contributor to the Mill and famously a Blackburn Rovers fan as well. Um, Michael, welcome. Oh, thank you, Daryl. That's a lovely introduction. Um, it's lovely to have you here. It is. And um, and we've got lots to get into. And we thought that we would pick your brains this week on a couple of really key business stories uh, in and around Greater Manchester, uh, including one about a, about a, a sort of um, an important fintech company in a bit of trouble in Greater Manchester that we'll talk about in a little bit. Yeah. And, um, and we'll get into the local elections as well, because you are steeped, Michael, in knowledge of local politics. So we'll take a, a proper thorough dive uh, into this week's local elections. Yoshi, before we do that, you've been in Vienna this week, haven't you? Yeah, I was in Vienna, actually. It was, I was invited there by um, a big sort of uh, journalism conference, media conference, spoke about the mill, did a little presentation on stage to this uh, room of, you know, mainly media executives in suits, um, talked about what we're doing. Um, and, it, it, you know, it was, it was obviously, it's always nice to spread the word, but also it was nice to go to Vienna because that's where my uh, great-grandparents lived, my Jewish great-grandparents, they lived in Vienna. Um, it's where my grandfather went to university in the 1930s. Um, so it was kind of like uh, nice to, to explore it, to see the flat where they lived, uh, all that sort of thing. So I've had a lovely time. And you, and you just briefly were talking about journalism and you were kind of giving uh, the people of Vienna or this conference your story from the Manchester Mill. And, and I guess you, you learnt some stuff as well, met some interesting people. Yeah, so I, I watched a talk by the New York Times as head of newsletters or head of products relating to newsletters, and that was super interesting. Spoke to some interesting people um, and, yeah, told them about why I think that subscription-based local media is important, why it's worked well for us. Um, I feel like more and more people are getting in touch now saying, hey, can you come and talk about this? And, you know, I went to a Google thing last week and I've been invited to one in, like, Norway and stuff. So I think there's... um, It's nice, actually. I think because it's an opportunity for us to take the things that we've learned doing the mill and to let other people know about them and sort of let them become a part of the, the broader sort of conversation about the future of media. So um, it's, um, it's been nice, actually. Lovely. Very good. Good work, my friend. Good work. Um, okay, let's, um, let, let's crash on because we've got plenty to get through this week. Um, as promised, we're going to talk about the Manchester-based uh, financial advice platform called Open Money that you may have heard of. It's been in a bit of trouble uh, lately. We'll get Michael to explain that uh, in full. Um, let's all of us, though, take a dive into local elections, shall we? Because if you're listening to this on publication day, on Thursday, uh, people across Greater Manchester and the rest of England are going to be heading to the polls uh, to vote in local elections. Um, I'll, I'll, this is a particularly interesting test at a particularly interesting moment, isn't it? And we're talking here about seats that were last cont- uh, contested in 2019, um, which you will remember was a, a low point for Theresa May, 
It was also wasn't a great moment for um, for Jeremy Corbyn's Labour Party either. Low watermarks for both of them, really, uh, and a general sort of dissatisfaction with politics at large during the Brexit days, the chaos of the Brexit era. Um, so lots, lots going on. Uh, lots of smaller parties to talk about. Lots of independents as well playing big roles in Oldham and Bolton in particular. Um, Yoshi, give us your your headline gut sense of how this week's playing out. So, top level, Labour is way ahead in the national polls and should be picking up across the country hundreds of council seats and obviously taking control of some councils that they currently don't control. So, the national polling is significant because that does affect uh, the way people vote. It's not just about local issues. Now, on the local level, there are some particular areas in Greater Manchester that are of particular interest because they have all-out elections. So that, does, that means not just a third of the councillors are up uh, for election this time, but all of them. Now, Michael's going to correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe those ones are Bolton, Oldham, and Stockport um, in particular. I'm, I'm missing one. I think it might be Trafford. But those three Tameside. are very... Tameside. Those are very interesting because... What you get when you have all-outs is you get much more volatility, right? Because obviously the maximum amount of damage for a, a party that's doing badly is much higher. Or the, the maximum advantage you can gain is much, is much higher if, if you're doing well. So, for example, in the last few years, we've known about all this volatility that has been in Oldham in particular. This acrimony around grooming gangs and Rajamir and some of the poison and the distrust in local politics. They, they have all-outs, which means that the range of possibilities is much greater. Now, I think if you had spoken to Labour people like a year ago, I, I mean, I did, you, people were quite nervous. They were saying these all-outs are when the Tories and the independents could really have us. Um, they could really take, make, take, take a lot of a dent out of us. We could even lose control of the council. Um, I wouldn't say that's what you're hearing at the moment, I think partly because of the national polls, partly because I think some of the local drama in Oldham has quietened down a bit. I don't think people are expecting like as much drama, as much movement as we've had in recent years when we've lost uh, two different council leaders in the last two rounds of elections. But who knows? Like it's, these, these elections are really hard to predict. Who knows? It'd be interesting to see. Now, Stockport is one that's kind of been really in the balance for ages. Michael, you know it very well because you were working professionally in... You live in Stockport A, but you were working professionally for the, for the previous Labour leader of Stockport Council. What's the kind of state of play there? Because that is really is a council that's currently no overall control. The leader um, is, a, is a Liberal Democrat, um, and Labour is, is trying to make inroads. The Greens are trying to make inroads. The Tories are on the back foot. What's, what's the latest in Stockport? Yeah, I think you've summed it up quite well there, Yoshi. Um, so it is all out elections, which mean that for every one of the um, of the council wards, there are three councillors that you can elect. Now, all sorts of volatility can happen as a result of that. So in mm. the area that I live, my ward's called Mar Marple South and High Lane. I could vote for a Green, a Tory, and a Lib Dem, or mm. or, a, or I'm not. I'm going to vote for three Labour candidates because I'm mm. I'm Labour. But you see, in, I was looking through the list in the Tameside elections, you know, the Greens are only standing one candidate in some wards. Mm. And you just think, people could lend the Greens a vote. Yeah, I'm Labour, I'll vote for two of them, but, you know, maybe I'll lend the Greens a vote because, hey, they're cuddly and everyone loves Greens, don't they? Mm. Mm. Um, but the dynamics in Stockport are interesting. There aren't that many 
um, there haven't been that many Lib Dem v Labour battles, even though they're competing to be the largest party on the gr- on the council. Labour right. seats tend to be quite safe. Right. Um, there's two different things though. There's Labour fighting the an independent group in Edgeley, which mm-hmm. the Mill has written extensively about. Yeah, They've that's Matt Wynn and his his sort of band of of, of disaffected ex Labour councillors and ex Labour candidates and that kind of thing. Yeah, well, well, Matt was a, a Labour councillor who was deselected, yeah. and uh, he was invited into the cabinet. You know, but um, but he's chosen to pursue this this line, and you know, I, I think he'll do quite well. Um, Labour have also had a bit of an insurgency from the Greens in Reddish South, which is again a democratically changing area. There's a lot of, you know, a lot of middle class people who can't afford to live in, you know, Didsbury. Mm. You know, pitched up in Reddish South, Heaton Chapel is one of the the kind of areas in there, and the Greens have been quite an insurgency. Then I don't think they're going to take anywhere else in Stockport though. But for me, the big story, the one that's going to have the biggest bearing on the shape of the council is mm. how much the Tory vote can hold up. So you've got two parliamentary constituencies in Stockport um, that are Tory controlled. William Ragg, the, the Tory MP for Hazel Grove, who I stood against in 2015 when I was a Labour candidate, and Mary Robinson, the Tory MP for Cheadle. You could face a situation where they don't have a single Tory councillor on by Friday evening. And that's, that's remarkable, isn't it? What a turnaround in five years. And, and in terms, I, I, I mean, yeah, I mean, that's all, all really, really interesting. But in terms of Labour uh, becoming the largest party again, or even taking control in Stockport, is the problem that Labour doesn't fear many losses, but it also finds it difficult to see where it makes gains in Stockport. It's, it's, it's difficult to know where the next five or seven seats would come from. Well, it, it is. So you can imagine a scenario where they lose three seats in Edgeley, which is mm. uh, to, to Matt Wynne's group. Mm. Don't make any gains in Reddish South. Mm. But in places like Offerton and Bredbury and Woodley, where there's a really interesting character called Joe Barrett, who is quite well known. He's involved in the Institute for Place Management at the university I used to work at, Manmet. Um, he was one of the driving forces behind Foodie Friday in Stockport and you know, kind of really drove the, the rebranding of Stockport. He used to run the Seven Miles Out Centre right on the marketplace there, way before it got you know, all New Berlini and all the rest of it. Mm. Joe's a really interesting character. He's just the sort of person that any local area would, would love to have involved in their local politics. Mm. And he's got both his mum and his girlfriend on the same slate as in, in the mm. ward that he lives in. And he's, mm. a, he's a really enthusiastic campaigner. Mm. So he could win in Bredbury and Woodley. Mm. And, um, and Labour could win in Offerton as a result of boundary changes. So yeah. the bit that's a bit Tory and a bit kind of... It's Lib Demi, but they're the sort of Lib Dems that don't, won't vote Labour. Mm. That ward has gone into Hazel Grove yeah. uh, ward. So yeah. there's all those sorts of things going on. Um, I don't see any other local insurgencies being successful. Mm. And the Lib Dems are fairly well dug in in, mm. in, in their areas like you know Cheadle, Gatley... Marple yeah. South, Marple North. Yeah. Do either of you, Daryl or Michael, know much about what's happening in Bolton or Trafford? Any 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 sort of sense of where that's going? Well, Bolton's my uh, neck of the woods. It's my hometown, so I, I sort of follow that closely, uh, personally as well as as well as professionally, of course. And it's also an interesting picture. There's a sort of similar-ish streak 
to what's been happening in Oldham, mm. just minus perhaps the really high level toxic- toxicity, you know, mm. m- minus a character like Rajamir and, and, mm. and minus a sort of, uh, you know, conspiracy theory around grooming gangs, etc. It's been, it's been, you know, a little bit more tempered than that. But the, the, the big story in Bolton over the last couple of years has been the story of the independence. And mm. this has kind of been the story of local politics, really, hasn't it, across the board. But in, in Bolton, uh, there has been... Um, you know, Bolton is somewhere that's been in Labour control for a very long time. Mm. Uh, last time last time out, it lost control. Uh, the Tories have minority control currently in Bolton. It's an interesting patchwork, Bolton, of, lo- of sort of, uh, you know, areas like Lostock and Heaton and places like that that are... Um, a bit more affluent and tend to sort of lean uh, Tory. And then there are areas that have died in the wool labour. And it's the areas that have died in the wool labour that have seen these real... Um, the, the, the growth of these independent parties, uh, Horwich first, Blackrod first, mm. uh, Farmworth first as well on the other side of the town have had some electoral success. Who are and, sort and, of best and just to explain to listeners, the reason yeah. that, that first is in the name of a lot of these independents, and you see it in other boroughs too, you see it in Barry, you see it in Oldham, is that an argument is being made that the big borough is too dominated by, like, the big town of Bolton or Oldham or whatever, and we little towns that are kind of wedged outside of the main town in the wider borough, we don't get enough attention. Is that broadly what these kind of parties are tapping into? Yeah, I think I think I think that's present. Bolton has always had this sort of outsider mentality. There's always been this, particularly as you go further west mm. uh, towards, um, you know, towards uh, uh, Horwich uh, in particular, Blackrod, West Orton kind of area. Mm. Um, those that border Lancashire, there's always been this sort of debate in Bolton about whether or not it should be part of Lancashire, really. So, right. so the, 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 that that sort of commitment to Greater Manchester has always been quite soft and a bit flaky. Mm. Right. So that's that's definitely very present, I think. Perhaps a bit. Perhaps, frankly, it's a bit populist. It's a little bit. It's a little bit populist. Um, it's perhaps similar sort of themes that we've seen around uh, populist movements like Brexit. And the mm. first parties are tapping into that. They're tapping into the the us versus them mm. kind of uh, uh, us, us versus them po- po- uh, politics, which is incredibly powerful mm. and has been very powerful in places like Farmworth, Horwich, uh, Blackrod. Um, and West Orton. And, and what it's done is, I mean, it's sort of destabilised the Labour vote, really. And, and the Labour Party over the last couple of years have taken a huge amount of the flack for services struggling, potholes, uh, you know, mm. money not being, you know, not being available. You know, of course, the Labour Party in, in Bolton sort of point to those being central government um, issues who set the, you know, have obviously demanded a huge amount of cuts. And yeah. the Labour Party have taken the flack for it, sort of closing libraries and, and things like that. And so we have a situation now where the Tories have no overall control in Bolton, but they are propped up by these independent groups mm. who have a fifth of the seats. And so I think the story is less Labour versus Tory in, in Bolton. It's more Labour versus the independents. Yeah. And it'll be really fascinating in the next 24 hours to see how that plays out. Interesting. Michael, let's give you the last word on the election stuff. What else will you be looking out for when the results start coming in on Friday? I think Tameside's quite interesting as well. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, I write a column in the Tameside Reporter and Glossop Chronicle newspaper out in which is an excellent newspaper as well. It's a really good newspaper. It's got a very comprehensive guide, which I've got in front of me, to all the candidates. Mm. And there's a real interesting volatility in Tameside because it's seen as one of those very safe Labour citadels. It was dominated by two 
um, big personalities over the last 25 years, Councillor Roy Oldham and Councillor Kieran Quinn, both now mm. sadly died. Mm. And they were big personalities, and they've never really replaced them. There was all sorts of squabbling. Um, <clears throat> the, Brenda Warrington, who was the leader, was deposed. Um, there's, there's, there's lots of families who dominate individual seats. You know, you, you sometimes find out that people are related to one another, the sons and daughters. Andrew Gwynn, who's the MP for Denton and Reddish, his wife, Alison, is, is a Tameside councillor, for example. Yeah. And, and the Tories are quite that sort of Brexity, mm. you know, working class Tories. Yeah. Mm. And they took a seat in a ward called Ashtonhurst, which is where Angela Rayner lives. You know, it's slap bang in the middle of Angela's constituency. And they've got their tails up. And there's all sorts of stuff around the green belt, there's stuff around, you know, the congestion charge or or the clean air tax, should I say, um, that mobilises people to not vote Labour. You know, Labour is seen as the establishment and the Tories very much push that line. Um, I mean, Brenda Warrington kind of shot herself in the foot, really, with, um, with with her claims that she was, you know, would ride in on a bulldozer in Godly Green yeah. to start building houses there. And, yeah. you know, the optics of that were terrible. Um, then you've got, you know, the, the, the rising class of Tameside councillors. You had uh, Lee Drennan, who can't find a seat to be an MP now. He, he lost his seat in Ashtonhurst. And then you also had Oliver Ryan, who wants to be the MP for Burnley. And, and again, the Tories' whole messaging that I've been looking at is um, he doesn't care about you, only his own ambitions. Yeah. So. Yeah. Can, I, can I just pick up on one thing on, on there? Because I, I think, Michael, you, made a, you just you said something that, that, that I think is, um, sort of encapsulates what we're talking about here across Greater Manchester, which is the, the, the idea of establishments, right? Is that there are so many of these towns, Oldham, uh, you know, um, Tenside, as you were saying, Bolton in particular, where yeah. Labour are seen as the establishment, aren't they? They've been yeah. in power in those places for a very, very long time. And in spite of being sort of out of national government for 13 years, in spite of nationally the picture couldn't be any different, Labour in Greater Manchester are the establishment. And I, th I think it's fair to say that we've seen them take a bit of a kicking in recent years because of that. Is that fair? No, I think that's really fair, Daryl. I think the other thing as well, which you, you, you touched on with your analysis in Bolton, I think that plays out in Tameside and to a lesser extent in Stockport as well. That Tameside isn't, no one says I live in Tameside, yeah? You meet someone and they say, I'm from Ashton, I'm from Staleybridge, I'm from Denton or Audenshaw. And, and that sort of constellation of different places within a borough, I think, does lead itself for grievance politics. So... Someone can say, oh, it's, it's all right for them lot in Ashton. They get all the money. Whereas us lot in Staley Bridge, once again, cruelly overlooked. So, you know, that, that would obviously play out in, in, uh, in different political campaigns. It works a little bit in Stockport. I've seen some leaflets saying that um, the Lib Dems favour places like Romilly and Marple rather than sort of Brinnington and central Stockport. They do deploy that argument quite a lot. All very interesting, um, and and we will um, we will return to this uh, in in the coming days. And uh, election analysis and insights as it happens, as those counts kick in overnight and uh, into Friday, um, and as those results are digested over the weekend. ManchesterMill.co.uk. Who who are you deploying some people, Yoshi? What what, what have we got coming up? Election. Yeah, we're we're, yeah, we're do, we're deploying some people, and we're going to see where the interesting stories are before I commit to saying, hey, we're going to do, you know, a ton of coverage of this or that, because I think that. What you get with the local elections is you've got these local democracy reporters who are BBC funded 
they do cover a lot of the basics. So we'll see what we'll see what comes out of these elections, and then um, I'm sure we'll do a feature or two about how, how various tectonic plates have changed. But so nice to have a podcast where we can really dive into depth, uh, particularly with with Michael's help. So that's been that's been fascinating. Yeah, can, I take, can I take my honour rock off now, guys? <laughs> no, absolutely not, because we need to talk about uh, your other big uh, love, Michael, which is uh, and your other big interest, which is business. Um, help us out with this story about the Manchester uh, fintech company. Uh, it's an advice platform, isn't it? A financial advice platform called Open Money, uh, who is restructuring with job cuts and a recent sale. Um, let's start off with, with the basics, Michael. For those perhaps who don't know who Open Money are, who are Open Money? So Open Money is a Manchester headquartered fintech business, which stands for financial technology. It was set up as a platform to try to give easy to access financial advice to people who don't usually get very good financial advice. Mm. Sounds like a lovely idea, right? Um, it was set up by a guy called Duncan Cameron and a friend of his called Anthony Morrow, both of whom had been really successful in financial services. Duncan Cameron in particular, because he was one of the founders of a business I'm sure everyone's heard of called moneysupermarket.com. And mm. his stake that he sold out to the other guy he set it up with was £176 million. So he's a seriously wealthy guy. Anyway, long story short, he decided to turn off the tap. So this is a business that was started in 2017. It's never made any money. It has sales of less than a million pounds a year, but it costs about ten million pounds to invest yeah, I mean, in the technology platform that, and the stuff. That's the bit that you, when I read your story on the business desk, um, and people should definitely check out the business desk because you're doing an amazing job there of, um, of, of of breaking scoops, but also just covering stories like this. We're talking about a business that was turning over about six hundred k and was racking up annual losses of nine point three million. I mean. I don't know. I guess that that just seems like an astonishing amount of money to be burning. I guess it must have been seen as a really, really promising sort of growth story for the future or something. So for for, for that kind of cash, yeah, burn. yeah, it was, and it had a high profile. It used to win awards. Mm. People would give mm. awards for being, you know, a, a really cool business in financial services. Um, its founder, Anthony Morrow, was the chair of Pro Manchester for a while, the mm -hmm. um, professional services um, sort, of, sort of chamber of commerce for people in suits, I suppose, want of a better term. You know, they were well known. It was a cool place to work, paid good money. And anyway, long story short, Yoshi, I was walking through town the other day on, on, on Key Street, and I looked mm -hmm. up and I said to my wife, that doesn't look like a very happy meeting. And there was a, one of those stand-up meetings that you can imagine in a film. And there were people with yeah. their hands on their heads. There were people with their hands on their sh on their hips. And I thought, so you're just you're just there. looking at, you're looking at this through a glass window, basically, at the office. Yeah, yeah, I could see it happening. And then again, someone then tipped me off on on first thing in the morning on Friday that something was going down at, um, at Open Money that salaries hadn't hadn't hit people's bank accounts at the end of the month. So we dug we did we dug into that and we did a story. And you know, I had some good sources who sent me. Um, sent me some internal messaging that had been going on and mm. I pinned down the new owners. So two, two new guys have bought the business called Will Mallard and Patrick Leahy. Mm -hmm. I spoke to Will yesterday, so I've done another version of the story earlier this, this week to update it. And I think there's more to come. Yeah, people are going to lose their jobs. But, so, um, Michael, what's, what, yeah. what, what, what has gone wrong then? Well, it's, it's like Yoshi says, that they're not making any money. And ultimately, um, they were banking on the fact that Duncan Cameron, one of the kind of richest guys in the north of England, 
um, was going to keep on bankrolling it. And he decided he wasn't. He thought, I'm never going to make the same amount of money I did with moneysupermarket.com. Mm. Um, so he pulled the plug. And, and they've been looking around for new investors and they weren't successful. Mm. As simple as and that. And it's not, it's not a good time for any business to be looking around for kind of emergency funds. I mean, there's, it's famously been a very no. difficult time for venture capital funding. Uh, lots of sort of capital markets have seized up. There have been these bank issues with, with you know, Silicon Valley Bank and various other things. So it's not a great time for a company that's burning loads of cash to be going around finding a new source of funding, basically. Absolutely right, yeah. So Anthony Morrow, one of the founders who, who'd left the business and came back into it, and he, you know, he was tasked with trying to rescue it and get it back on its feet, and he was unsuccessful. He was looking for either what's called a trade buyer, which is basically sell to someone like moneysupermarket.com, or AJ Bell, or something like that, mm. or, uh, or or get some more venture finance. As it happens, the, the two guys that have bought it, um, they do see some potential in it, but they're going to have to make big changes. Uh, one of them yeah. was telling me last night it will involve more redundancies, I'm afraid. Mm. Michael, can we just zoom out a little bit here and, 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 just, and just consider Manchester's fintech industry, its community. Does, does Manchester have a fintech industry and, and, and community of note? Yeah, absolutely, big time. So our, I did an interview a couple of months ago with um, your main guy, the uh, Lord Sir Nicholas Lyons, the Lord Mayor of the City of London, who was up here very specifically to meet people from Manchester's fintech community. It's seen as you know, a really big part of, of uh, the greater Manchester economy. Mm. Yeah, and is it a big part? I mean, it seems yeah, it to be is. a big part. It is a big part. Yeah, it is. And you look at a business like AJ Bell, who are, you know, they obviously sponsor the stadium, but they're an incredible technology platform, one of the most successful businesses in financial services, a real insurgent brand, and they're, you know, headquartered here in Greater Manchester. I, I, the thing I was kind of wondering was, in, 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 in technology, you've got all these fintech companies that are basically trying to break into financial services, and they're trying to beat the banks at their own game and, and offer new products and that kind of thing. And there's been there have been some successes in the in this country. There have been some some duds and and, and obviously ones that, that that haven't worked out. This one is obviously currently not working out. You know, is it? Are we kind of waiting to see whether in Manchester there are a bunch of companies that can genuinely get traction in in this sort of financial fintech financial services technology space, Michael? Yes, I think they are. Um, it's not the only game in town. But I think gen genuinely there is some really interesting innovation going on in this space. Yeah. And it, it's one of the areas that Manchester's very thriving venture capital and private equity um, investors are, are, are looking for new opportunities all the time. But like I said, it's not the only game in town. But it's one of the stories that we report on frequently on thebusinessdesk.com, which, as you can guess, is a, you know, a digital business all of its own. Mm-hmm. And there's a couple of other stories as well, isn't there, that, that, uh, that we wanted to dive into. What, what were they? Well, the, the, the one that we're currently leading on today, so today's World Press Freedom Day, and um, we're no different. And I'm absolutely thrilled that The Times have done a story on a business called Ink & Co., which we've been doing since I joined the business desk in December last year. And their principal, Scott Dillon, who's been the... Um, who I've been looking into his business affairs for a while. The Times have done a story about the disaster of his or their purchase of a luxury sofa business in the south of England called Maker & Sons. So that's good. 
quite a complicated story. Um, we've had to fight quite hard to make sure that we, we get it right and have got it out. Um, and then it really pleased that the Observer and now the Times have been following up on, uh, on, on territory that we've gone into first, I think. And Michael, what are the storylines should we be following in, in Greater Manchester business? Well, the company that I suppose we watch with the most intent is THG, formerly The Hook Group. It's based out near Manchester Airport. It employs loads of people. It floated on the stock market with a valuation of £5 billion. It's led by a really interesting and charismatic figure called Matthew Moulding. And my motivation for, for, for covering the story is it's a drama, you know? You can say, isn't business journalism really boring? It's not. It's full of personalities. It's full of infighting. So anybody who's watched TV's succession, yeah, just keep an eye on the stories that we're going to be doing about THG. You know, they've got <laughs> activist investors who are just like, uh, just like Stewie. They've got, um, no, I wouldn't say there's family members vying for control, but they've got um, personalities like Luke Johnson, Nigel Ray, Umar Kamani, who's the son of the founder of Boohoo.com taking small stakes in the business. You've got the former head of ITV, Charles Allen, who's now the chairman of, of, of THG. And, you know, they sell protein shakes and vitamins and beauty and makeup products all over the world. Um, so it's a tech business, but it's also a consumer business. And, um, and there's all sorts of different interesting moving parts. And you've got American private equity firms wanting to come and buy it and break it up. And yeah, it's brilliant. It, it is literally like succession. And and the, no, and the okay. big the, the big thing about that well the two things I know about that company one the CEO molding used to do kind of kind of gym shots like pictures of himself in the gym or at least like sort of flexing his muscles so that's that's one yeah. thing the other thing was that they floated on the stock market and then their, their their the price of their stocks crashed I think it was late you know September October that sort of time in in 2021 you had this massive crash in their stock price. And you went from the market thinking, oh, this is a really promising British company that has some interesting technology for, for, for selling things online, to, you know, I, I think the price is probably down about 80% versus what it was um, when, when they first listed. I can and tell you it's 81.85% yeah, down currently. And, and, and you've got the kind of CEO kind of, blaming short sellers and blaming the media and, and it, taking a very sort of aggressive stance so i think that's a great one to watch and hopefully michael we can have you on and you can uh, you can update us on the next episode of succession in a couple of months maybe i would absolutely love to do that yoshi <laughs> excellent uh, okay uh, dot 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 on that one um uh, let's let's move on uh, and briefly to talk about manchester city center uh, which is uh, currently like a teenager at the moment isn't it whenever you look at it it's about a sort of 14 15 year old every time you look at it it seems to be taller uh, and and sprouted upwards um the urban economist james G uh, gilmore yoshi has been writing in the mill this week about why and what it means just give us the headlines well i think like if you're a mill member this is something you can go and read on our on our site but, but james is writing about the idea of density now obviously greater manchester has become a lot denser a lot more people living in the area i think it's four hundred thousand new residents in 20 years and what James writes is that like denser neighborhoods, they're cheaper to service and maintain, they make public transport more viable, uh, they lower carbon emissions, um, more trips can be made on foot, you know, you can go out and buy your food and, and whatever without getting a car. So a lot of urbanist kind of thinking is very pro-density. And the British model of living, you know, we all want a garden and a house, and as soon as you have a kid, you have to make sure you're not in a flat is very kind of makes density more difficult 
So, so, so it's interesting that Manchester in particular and Salford have really kind of grabbed the opportunity to build more density into their urban environment. It's funny because, you know, my girlfriend is from Romania and she grew up in a flat and, and like her dad also grew up in the same flat. And like, it's a small flat, like I've been to it, but there's, there's no sense in that family of right, once you've got a kid, you need to move out into a house, you need a garden. Whereas I think like, when she moved to England, she found it funny that all the questions were like, right, so when are you gonna, when are you gonna get out of your flat in Withington? When are you gonna, you know, when are you gonna get somewhere with more space? So we have this real culture in this country of, 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 of not wanting to live in apartments beyond a certain age. And Manchester is, is, is you know, maybe going to test that hypothesis. Actually, will there be people who in their 40s, 50s, 60s or so would, would be willing to, willing to live, live in an apartment? The great thing about James's piece is the graphs. Like, he's got some fantastic sort of, not graphs, but visualizations of, of how the city looks now, how, how it looked before. Um, so I really recommend checking out that piece, um, which came out on the mill on Tuesday. Okay, uh, Michael. Just really briefly, do you do you see that playing out? I mean, you you mentioned there that you're a sort of an, around an area where those people who perhaps were living in the city would eventually graduate out um, to perhaps live in 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 uh, the suburbs around where you are. Is that having a knock on effect? Are you seeing that? We're seeing a definite migration of populations. But my um, one of my sons lives in the city centre. You know, he's seen his rents go up. He's moved into a smaller apartment and pay, is paying more rent on top of all the bills as well. I do. It's absolutely fascinating that the whole dynamics of, of city centre living. I've watched this in the last 20 years. I mean, I remember hosting round tables um, when I first came to Manchester in early 2000. Mm. Will city living ever take off? And to my, <laughs> mind, to my mind, I always thought it would do. And I think that the, the, the empty nesters, I've got a lot of friends who are in their 50s and 60s who live in the city centre. You know, it's not just a young, a young person's thing. But what we found in our area, we've got lots of houses with um, retired, with retired people living in, with lots of empty rooms, mm. and I think um, you know, we're, we're the same. You know, our, a lot of our kids have moved out now, so we've, um, you know, we've got space in our house. We really should be selling it and giving it, uh, making, letting a family live here, because that's the whole chain of the housing crisis. Where are you going to move? Where are you going to move, my family? We just move move somewhere locally, um, but but smaller. We don't need as much space as we've got, apart from obviously yeah. this radio studio that I'm broadcasting from in what <laughs> used to be our son Elliot's bedroom. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, um, incredibly interesting. I would highly recommend you read that piece by James Gilmore. It's uh, it's really fascinating. ManchesterMill.co.uk is where you go uh, to subscribe to that, to uh, your post-election coverage as well as we take a deep dive into some of those interesting stories after they've played out. Uh, more quality journalism like that direct to your inbox. ManchesterMill.co.uk um, Every week we like to give you uh, some nods for some things to do uh, around Greater Manchester and some bits and bobs. So one exhibition, unfortunately I couldn't make the preview for it, which I was invited, but I'd, I'd, I, I've kind of recommended that the team go along. It's at the Lowry, and um, it's Hugh Locke, I think that's the, the right way um, to pronounce him. He's a Guyanese-British um, sculptor, um, and his exhibit there is called The Ambassadors. And I think he was commissioned in 2019, but then it couldn't happen because of the pandemic or something. So it's just started. It's on there until June. Um, Locke, his practice is, is, and I'm reading here, rooted in the languages of colonial and post-colonial power, employing visual cues and symbols of authority across different cultures and histories. It definitely sounds like if, if you're one of those people who would like 
Greater Manchester's culture to have a little bit more edge and a little bit more kind of um, a little bit more spike to it, then I think this might be um, the kind of work for you. So I'm going to be popping along um, to to look at this exhibition um, in the next few days. Okay, um, I'm in London this weekend as usual, which I'm dreading slightly because it's the coronation, obviously. Uh, which generally means that it's going to be hard to get places and the tubes are going to be full. Uh, but if you um, uh, if, if that's your bag and you're not dreading it like I am uh, and actually looking forward to it, there's, a, there's quite a few things going, uh, going on across Greater Manchester. King Street in the centre of town are having a big coronation market. There's going to be stalls and stuff over the weekend, local artisans and, ma- and uh, makers' um, uh, stalls and things. So it looks really good. Uh, loads of food and drink and stuff. And um, if you're very keen on the... Uh, event itself but you'd like to watch it with other people as a bit of a collective experience um the dean of manchester is inviting people to manchester cathedral to watch it on a big screen so they're going to screen the whole thing there so you can watch it um uh, it's free to get in and the doors are open at 9 30 uh, as well to go in and watch it because i think it starts about 10 o'clock doesn't it or something like that so um that be a thing i'm also just gonna i'm gonna pin something in your diary as well if you will uh, for a couple of weeks time this isn't this weekend but the Poet Laureate, while we're, while we're talking um, about the uh, institution of the monarchy, the Poet Laureate, Simon Armitage, uh, is going to appear at a festival celebrating libraries in a couple of weeks. He's going to be reading poems and answering questions around the corner from me um, at Eccles Library uh, in oh. Salford for Greater Manchester's Festival of Libraries next month. Oh. There's loads going on with that, by the way. Guy Garvey's involved. Uh, Stanley Chow's doing a bit as well. There's going to be performances and workshops across uh, the 133 libraries around Greater Manchester. It runs from the 7th to the 11th of June. Uh, and we'll have more on that in a couple of weeks. It looks like a really nice idea. Um, and important and much needed as well for uh, um, the institutions that are our libraries. Um, hey, it's been a real pleasure to uh, to have you on the podcast, Michael. Thank you. You're welcome. It's been great. Um, we'll do it again soon at some point. Thank you to you as well, Yoshi. Yeah, I think people should go and check out Michael's LinkedIn, actually, because that's where he, uh, he publishes a, or shares a lot of his business stories. And he often shares them yeah. with a bit of commentary and stuff. So go and go and find Michael Taylor on LinkedIn and go and check out the Northern Spin podcast, which is really, really good. It's a bit more, um, well, it's obviously pan-Northern as opposed to, uh, you know, Greater Manchester Focus. It's, got, it's a bit more sort of politics debate and cut and thrust. And you guys talk about uh, national elections as, as well as local stuff. So highly recommend that. And I highly recommend going to a Rovers game with Michael Taylor um, because he took me once. And um, his team, Rovers, lost. Michael, was it seven-one? Their worst, their, like, their worst ever home defeat since like the nineteenth century or something. Yeah, thanks for reminding me of that, Yoshi. It was seven-nil, <laughs> and it was by Fulham, who obviously won the league at a canter that year. Yeah. And and this season we are hopefully going to do better than we did last season. We're currently in eighth place <laughs> in our annual battle against promotion. Fingers yes, well, crossed for the well, Rovers. Michael, you might get- Fingers crossed yeah. for the Rovers to make, the, out, Michael, to make you might, the playoffs. You might get to play us next season, Michael, if it doesn't work out So um, at, at Bolton. So all we good. almost so. certainly will. <laughs> as a local derby to look, that's a local maybe, derby maybe, to look Maybe to. us um, three should have a, a Lancashire football podcast. <laughs> yes, I feel that comes together quite nicely. Uh, thank you for being with us this week. We're back in your podcast feed next week. And, of course, we'll have all you need to know from this week's local elections. For now, manchestermill.co.uk is where you go to subscribe to more quality journalism. Until next time.